Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Jerry Ewalt, Chief Marketing Officer for Restoration of America. And today we are blessed to have Sean Parnell, a highly decorated military warrior and best-selling author. Sean also lives in Pennsylvania and was briefly a U.S. Senate candidate there. So he has some great insight for us on the shocking results we saw in our midterms. Sean, it's a real honor to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first of all, I, I have to say it right off the bat, you know, thank you for your service and thank you for all the stuff that you continue to do for veterans today. And so I think the audience would just love a quick thumbnail of your amazing career and maybe some of the stuff you're doing today before we jump into politics. Let's start with that. Oh, thanks. I, I, well, I, I served in combat in Afghanistan in 2006. My my platoon uh, served all along the Afghan-Pakistan border. We were there for 485 days, um, hundreds of direct fire engagements. Um, some of my men were wounded twice. I think one of my guys was wounded three times. Overall, my platoon took some like 85% casualty rate. I was wounded myself. I had a head injury, which is which is probably why I got involved in politics in the first place. But um, I, I served in combat, came home, um, got my master's degree and, uh, was blessed to start working with an, uh, a, a veterans charity that, I, that, that I co-founded and we give service dogs to veterans. And we've been doing that for boy, I mean, almost like over 10 years now. And we've, it's like given 300 dogs. So, you know, I always say to people that, you know, the pathway to a meaningful life is, is through service to others. And, you know, I feel like we've been, you know, the American Warrior Initiative, my charity has been walking the walk for, for quite some time now. Yeah, no, and um, I, I was reading through your bio, obviously. So this this outlaw platoon that you were part of, yeah. I think I was reading 80% of your platoon received Purple Hearts, uh, yourself included, I, I know that. I mean, truly amazing uh, what, what you've done uh, for this country. And I, I we really appreciate oh. it. Well, thank you. You're worth it. This country's worth it. You know, I volunteered to serve and I would do it all over again. And it, you know, despite how, how terrible combat is, uh, this country's worth it. It's the greatest country on the face of the planet. And it was an honor to have the opportunity to serve. Yeah. Amen to that. And, and, you know, you're not, you're not done serving. You're, uh, you, you have a long <laughs> battle ahead of you and so do all of us right, right now. So, you know, <laughs> yes. I, I know what you went through was, was insane. Um, but I would say it's insane what we're going through right now, just in a very different way, <laughs> not to take anything away what you've accomplished, but it's insane. No. So thank it's you for a different continuing type of battle. battle. It's, a, it's a different type of battlefield, you know, <laughs> you know, but it uh, it's, it's just as important in so many ways. And yeah, we, we, we're in the fight and we've got a long road ahead of us, but the future is bright and optimistic that much. I can tell you. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. And so we got. Pennsylvania, the birthplace of, of a great nation, uh, and I know you're you're right in the heart of it there in Pittsburgh, and so you know you know Pennsylvania very very well, and, and especially politics as well, and and it, you know we again it's at the center of the political universe as always now that in Arizona right now, but um, yeah. so tell us a little bit about the demographics, right? So birthplace of a nation. But yeah. it does it does represent a lot of what we see across the country. So tell me a little bit about the demographics in Pennsylvania. Well, Pennsylvania, you're right, is at the center of the political universe. Um, it's critically important. And if you look at how Ron DeSantis and the Republicans performed in Florida this cycle, 
it certainly seems like Florida is off the board for the Democrats going into 2024, right? Um, I think it's the first time since the 1800s that no Democrat in Florida has held a statewide office. So kudos to Governor DeSantis and the great work that he and his team have done down there to turn that state from really purple just a few years ago to deep crimson red. And so that said, the focus is, I think, on Pennsylvania moving into 2024. And if you look at just voter registrations, we can start there. It's a tough it's a tough state for Republicans. It's not impossible for Republicans to win. You need the right kind of a candidate that can bring people together. But if you look at just voter registrations, there are over 530,000 more registered Democrats than there are Republicans. So a Democrat can win this state without a single Republican vote, right? And so that's why independents in the state of Pennsylvania, people that are right there in the middle become so critically important, right? And there are over 1.2 million independents in this state. So um, it's you've got a little bit of everything here in, in Pennsylvania. You've got you know college educated, you've got working class people, you've got conservative Democrats all you know, packed in in Western Pennsylvania who are pro-life, pro-gun Democrats that have been voting that are just like union guys, believe the Democrat party protects the little guy. And I think certainly that's not the case anymore, but um, you've got an interesting mix here. And it, Pennsylvania moving into 2024 is going to be the battleground of all battlegrounds. That much is for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. We're, we're not we're not giving up. We're not giving up hope there for sure. And if we look at this election, uh, it was it was a it was a big disappointment, right? There's no doubt about that. And sure. I, I, I'd love your sure. opinion on these. And let's let's start with the Senate race because okay. after watching Fetterman debate against Oz, I mean, everyone I think everyone thought it would be a slam dunk. I mean, it was such a poor performance on Fetterman, and mm -hmm. yet he he won decisively in the Senate race. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, uh, that debate performance it being it was it was late in the game, a week before election day. That was a calculated decision by the Fetterman campaign. Why? Because in the state of Pennsylvania, people have been early voting for almost two months prior to that. So the Fetterman's the Fetterman campaign's goal was to bank as many votes as humanly possible prior to that debate performance. Because as you saw, as I saw, as I think all of America saw, Fetterman just he wasn't there. You know, he couldn't string two sentences together. And I'm not saying that like as an insult. I mean, uh, clearly we want him to make a full recovery, uh, but that does not mean, you know, that he can serve six years in the Senate. So I think the debate performance almost lulled people into thinking that into a false sense of security, like, hey, Republicans got this. But the fact of the matter is the Democrats have mastered the game here in Pennsylvania of the mail-in ballot system and the early voting system here in Pennsylvania and use that to their advantage. And I think even with still 98 percent reporting, last I checked, the margin in Pennsylvania was 238,000 that Oz lost by. And so it this it's a larger discussion about the differences between and how Republicans focus on running campaigns and how Democrats focus on elections and the difference between an actual voter and a ballot. Both of those two th things elicit the same result on election day. Uh, but one of those one of those things is far more difficult to control. So if you look at 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 voters, for example, you have to make the case to them. You have to sway public sentiment. You, you have to debate. You have to get up on TV. You have to door knock in the hopes that when they show up to vote on election day, they pull the lever for you. 
Um, on the other hand, if you focus on ballots, well, it's just a numbers game. You look at a spreadsheet, you've got access to Pennsylvania's uh, electronic voter registry database. You can see like, okay, look at all the people that opted into the mail-in ballot program uh, in 2020. By the way, that the highest presidential turnout election uh, in our nation's history. You look at all the people who automatically opted in in 2020 and you say, okay, look, Biden got 60% in Allegheny County. It's a critical county for us. Let's see if we as the Fetterman campaign can get 64, 65. And that means going to Democrats' houses, seeing if we can get them a mail-in ballot, seeing if we can get them into the automatic opt-in program. And that that ultimately was why John Fetterman was able to increase his margins in critical counties in Pennsylvania, like Allegheny County, like Montgomery County, like Delaware County. He was able to increase his margins there over what Biden got in 2020. And unfortunately, um, Oz, even from the very beginning, Dr. Oz has had a base problem in Pennsylvania. The idea that his conservative bona fides in this state, he, he didn't make the case well enough to the base. And he Unfortunately, Dr. Oz underperformed in areas like in central Pennsylvania where, where President Trump ran up the score in 2016 and 2020. So um, that was sort of the perfect storm, uh, uh, a bad storm for for Dr. Oz, but really the perfect conditions for John Fetterman and ultimately why he run, he won the race. Yeah, I mean, it seems hard to believe. And I, I think what you're trying to break down for us is there's, so there's a couple things going on here. The candidate himself being able to establish himself as being that conservative candidate, someone who is really part of Pennsylvania and not maybe some other states is one of them. Uh, and then you have the whole issue with the way Republicans are voting. It's not necessarily an issue, but um, they're limiting themselves to maybe same day voting in person, which I know we've been saying, let's do that. That's the best way to do it. But there were so many problems when that happened, whereas we saw Democrats vote early and throughout the cycle through mail-in, all legal, by the way, just it just they got it done earlier. And so there were some issues. And we saw a lot of that happening, by the way, in Arizona. That was a big part of why it took so long for Arizona to get counted and all the issues that they had in there. Well, well, exactly. I mean, look, Republicans vote on Election Day. That's what we've historically done here uh, over the last couple of cycles. But I think statewide, Republicans going into Election Day were already down by 600,000 votes. I mean, mm. that's an un. So it's an almost, it was, indeed, it was in 2022, an insurmountable mountain to climb. I mean, and so. The Republican path moving forward needs to be an adoption of their, you know, we just need to, we need to play the game better than Democrats do. And I know that Republicans don't like mail-in voting. I opposed Act 77, which is Pennsylvania's no excuse um, absentee ballot law. I had a case up at the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. I had a case, two cases of the Supreme Court on it. Unfortunately, Act 77 is the law of the land, right, right as of right now. The only right. way we change that law is if we win, is if we win, take back power and then proceed with election reform. But the reality is we have to see the political battlefield as the way that it is, not as the way that we'd like it to be. And so that means getting access to the electronic voter registry database, finding low proposition, what we call low proposition, one of four, one of four Republican voters. So one of four means like 
Republican voter, uh, a reliably Republican voter who might vote in one out of every four election cycles. I think we have to find those people, right? We have to get them to opt into the mail-in ballot program, and we have to bank their early vote. So that will help us offset the Democrat advantage going into election day, been piling up early votes and mail-in votes going into election day so that that hill isn't so tall to climb. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm I'm hearing a lot about that, and you're you're sharing with us that we need Republicans need to play chess and stop playing checkers, right? Because we were so excited mm-hmm. about the midterms. You know, Biden's doing such a terrible job. Look at all the insanity going on in our country. We've got this. We're going to win this. And sure, I mean, there was a lot of money spent that we try to activate the base, and you do all those kind of things. But again, not right. being strategic and understanding, we may not like the rules on how voting happens, and we'd love to change them at some point. But those are the rules. So play within the rules. Don't don't narrow yourself just down to that one day type of concept. So, right. And, and, and I don't want to, you know, I, I want to clarify as well, like Dr. Oz worked his butt off. It's really easy to look at what happened and, you know, be a Monday morning quarterback. And when all the dust settles, have a lot of opinions. I've been the candidate both for Congress and for Senate. Like when you're in it, you know, you're in it and it's difficult to see through the haze all around you. It's chaotic. You're doing five or six, five or six events a day. And you hope that on election day, you're victorious by having the right strategy. Um, and so, you know, kudos to him for, for sort of leaving it all on the field. Yeah. But as a party moving forward, we have to be better. And, you know, I've always said, you know, since I got into politics, Republicans focus on campaigns. Democrats focus on elections. I think the path forward for Republicans in this state and probably countrywide is focus on running great campaigns, but we also have to focus on elections, the structure, the system, the game. No, you're right on. And I think I think for Dr. Oz, if only Oprah would have supported him, I think it would have been a different story. <laughs> that 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 endorsement, when that endorsement came out, you know what the first thing I think that 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 said more about her character than anything about Dr. Oz. So I'm thinking like, okay, so you said that you would have voted for John Fetterman a long time ago. What about the 20 years that you had Dr. Oz on your program saying he was the best thing since sliced bread? Were you lying then or are you lying now? I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, you know, Dr. Oz was a consummate professional, didn't attack Oprah in any way, said they're still good friends. And I I agree. I mean, but, but what we, we, this is just what we expect anyway. But uh, I did find that very interesting. So yeah, ridiculous. All right. So let's switch over to the governor's race and take a look at that because I know we we knew that one was going to be close and we always saw Josh Shapiro maybe ahead of, of Mastriano. Um, but I, I don't think we were expecting it to be such a wide gap. And we had uh, yeah. David Latour on our show uh, right before the election, and he he made some comments that he felt like that elect, uh, that campaign that Mastriano was running was maybe not organized as well as it should have been. What are your thoughts on, on that governor's race? Well, um, again, you look at Pennsylvania, um, Democrats can win without a single Republican vote. And Doug Mastriano had an extraordinary enthusiastic base. He sort of had the opposite problem of Dr. Oz. Oz was sort of a man without a base from the time he got in the race until well past election day. Mastriano was a man with an incredibly passionate base. But at the end of the day, he wasn't able to communicate a message that was able to sway enough independence into his corner. And again, he had all of the same election issues that Oz had with regards to the mail-in vote, the early vote, the the lackluster Republican effort to get out the early vote. So um, 
I thought that the race between Josh Shapiro and Doug Mastriano would be closer. Um, but unfortunately it just, it wasn't. And yeah, yeah I mean, what, what, what more can you say? I think he's down by, he's down something like 750,000 votes with 900 with, with 98% reporting. And so if you look at the margin, the difference between Oz and Mastriano, you're talking about, this is a state that if you, if you believe the math, which I do, there are 500,000 ticket splitters, people who voted for Dr. Oz that didn't vote for Doug Mastriano. Those are the people that you need to, you need to make the case to right in order to win as a Republican in this state. And so unfortunately, I don't think, um, while he had a very, very enthusiastic base, I don't think that Doug was able to make the case to independence. And here's here's another problem, by the way. Uh, Josh Shapiro raised $30 million for that race. I think Doug Mastriano, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was something like $3 million. If you're going to be a candidate statewide in the state of Pennsylvania, we've got to be better fundraisers than that. Because it's the equivalent to air power in the military. Like if you're out in the field operating and you get attacked by the an overwhelming enemy force, well, they're going to overwhelm you without air power, right? It, it, that money, when, you, uh, when you're a candidate and you raise money, it allows you to put things in the mail. And, and, and more importantly, it allows you to go up on TV and communicate your message to the masses. Josh Shapiro raised so much money in that race. He was able to run ads from the primary all the way through election day, just not just hitting Doug Mastriano, but hitting the Republican brand. And when the Dobbs decision came out, Josh Shapiro just ratcheted up the fear. You know, Doug Mastriano is going to take away your right to choose. He wants to control women's bodies. And it was just a slow bleed for six months. And if you if you haven't been able to raise the money as a candidate, you don't have the ability to respond on TV. And I think that's I think that's why the margin was so great in the governor's race. Because uh, unfortunately, Doug didn't have the money to compete in the race like he needed to. Well, it's great to deep dive into a state because what you're learning here in Pennsylvania really applies across the country. We're, we're the, in, yeah. in terms of raising money, we are outspent by Democrats by magnitudes. I, I mean, we've seen some things thirty to forty times higher than than what the, the Democrats right. uh, than what Republicans raise. And you're right that that hurts. And, and look, that's not the only reason. It's actually quite amazing to see how well candidates do with so little money coming in sometimes. But but that You're is right. a problem. We need to get better at that. I mean, look, I don't like that there's so much money in politics. I don't like it. But you're you're right. Republicans for the most part get outraised, right? When I when I actually when I ran for Congress, we actually ra- outraised Connor Lamb who was the then incumbent back in PA 17. We outraised him for a couple cycles in a row. But you know what that took? It took me on the phone. So like this is this is how this is how it works when you're running for office. If you have any of your viewers out there that are thinking of running for office, this is what it takes. You've got to be on the phone five or six hours a day, every day, cold calling people asking for money. That's the pathway to success. That's how Republican candidates outraise Democrat opponents. And even when they're doing the right thing, oftentimes they don't outraise Democrat opponents because the Democrats have this this act blue digital fundraising platform that they've built over the last decade. And it's sort of like the Netflix of fundraising. It's like, oh, you gave to John Fetterman. You might also like to give to AOC, you know, and with a click of a button, people are giving money. And so if you look at John Fetterman's fundraising, his unitemized fundraising, like his small dollar donors, I mean, the guy had like some some sort of like over a million small dollar donors. And that is how you win elections, because 
you know, in a federal election, you can only take a max from like 2,800 bucks from somebody in the primary and then in the general, right? So, but there are only so many people that can afford to give that kind of money to a, to a Republican candidate. The key is, is building a movement of small dollar donors that can give you $5 every month. So if John Fetterman is getting $5 every month from a million people, well, he's going to have the money that he needs to get the job done on election day. And in fact, that's, that's exactly what he did. No, you're right on with that. We're, we're, we're quite behind in that level of sophistication. And, and again, checkers versus chess, right? That's, that's another way to look yes. at it. Um, so I, I agree with you on that. So help, you got to explain something to me, Sean. So in a place sure. like Pennsylvania and the demographics we just talked about and the importance of energy production in Pennsylvania, <sighs> how does the state continue to elect these leftists that are just against energy production, uh, you know, going well, in the green direction, right? It, it just shocks me. It's so Republicans just here again, this is an area where Republicans, I think, fall short. They're scared to talk about the importance of energy independence for some reason. And, and I think it's because the whole green movement is aggressive and it's in your face. But the reality is, is that if diminishing emissions is something that's important to you as a voter in the state of Pennsylvania, well, then we should be embracing the, the natural gas revolution and Marcellus shale industry that we have here in, in Pennsylvania, right? So I think what it comes down to is candidates that can articulate why it's important to be energy independent from a national security standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a moral standpoint. And what I mean by that is that you know, when when we're paying more for gas or we're paying more for uh, our groceries, that disproportionately affects lower income and middle class families. They're the ones that that get hit the most. And so I think it's about having candidates that can articulate that message uh, to the American people about why it's important to have an all of the above energy strategy and not singularly focused on green energy that's just simply not market ready. Yeah, no, it's uh, that that makes a lot of sense. And we're going to feel that pain in the next couple of years, no doubt. If, if, if yes, it's not very really painful now, it's going to be more painful. Uh, and, you know, I know we're going to it's great to do this deep dive that we just did understand what went wrong because we got we got to start preparing right now for 2024 and i know a lot of people don't want to hear that they're a little burnt out uh and, and we got to do it and we got to get ready so i'm i'm gonna get I, for the last question here sean i i want to know um i want to i want to move away from politics i want to go back to okay. something that you're really passionate about and that's the veterans so how could people get involved with the American Warrior Initiative that you have? Because uh, I know that's that's really on your heart. And I think people need a break from politics and get back to serving community and serving the veterans right now. I mean, that's that's ultimately our mission is to serve veterans and their families. And we've also opened it up to first responders because the reality is, is they put a uniform on every day. They leave their house. They kiss their wife and their kids and they don't know if they're going to make it back. And so, you know, people can go to the American Warrior Initiative com just contribute to the cause and it costs you know service dogs are expensive i mean they're up in, over ten thousand dollars right but we guarantee that 100 percent of all contributions goes go to causes so we're a unique organization in that we don't have any real overhead and so um go to the website get involved uh, our veterans served us overseas 
our first responders serve us here at home, and it's our duty and responsibility as responsible American citizens to take care of them as well. Yeah, you know, as the economy gets uh, harder and harder and you see more and more inflation, $10,000 for a service dog, that is a lot of money, especially for these veterans. So uh, I, I agree. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And, and I encourage everyone to ch check <laughs> your welcome. website out. And mm -hmm. hey, like we talked about, pitch in $5 or whatever you can do, because it, it mm -hmm. makes a big difference and it goes a long way if we can get a lot of people involved and engaged in that. It does. It does for sure. Well, Sean, uh, this was fantastic. I, again, I really appreciate your insight, but also all your service to this great country. Thanks for keep for the fight that you're doing and, and keep it up. And <laughs> God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.